Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Lunch Therapy. I'm your host, unlicensed lunch therapist, Adam Roberts. My patient today is Carla Laley Music. She's a YouTube superstar and the author of two New York Times bestselling cookbooks, Where Cooking Begins, which won the James Beard Award for Best General Cookbook, and her latest, That Sounds So Good, which just came out and I've got a copy in my kitchen and I'm already tearing through it. And in today's session, Carla talks all about cooking instinctually. But I don't cook from recipes. Even when I'm cooking my own recipes on video, I'm like, oh, well, I wrote this in the book, but like, I already think I should switch the order of it. And I, I might change the way I cook my own recipe. How she became a YouTube sensation. I had to really pitch myself repeatedly over a long period of time to be put in videos. And how she's so confident. But it's funny, all that's always mixed with like, of course, you know, deep anxiety and self-doubt and paranoia. So <laughs> just what you show to the outside and like what you're feeling on the inside are not necessarily the same. Uh, before we get started, I just want to warn you that Throughout the beginning of this podcast, you're going to hear some like scratchy noises, and that's because her microphone was scraping against her sweater, but I figured that out, and it stops eventually. All right, well, without further ado, here is my lunch therapy session with Carla Laley Music. Well, Carla, congratulations. I just saw that your book is number seven best-selling <laughs> cookbook right now. That's amazing. Congrats. Thank you so much. Lucky number seven. Yeah. So, I mean, tell me a little bit about this book. I mean, I have your first book. Your second one's on the way. Um, what was it like to work on it during the pandemic? What was the whole it process like? Pretty bananas. Cause obviously like when I pitched it was actually pretty much on the tails of when where cooking begins came out. Mm -hmm. So I had that fall and, um, I was starting to really get into recipe development in like January and February and then kind of had manifested like a dream, my dream job. Like I was still doing videos and podcasts, but I was writing the book and I had this like flexible schedule and working at home. And then like six weeks later, it was full pandemic with, you know, I have two kids, my spouse, you know, all in the house together. So it was really challenging. I mean, it was just like an emotionally very challenging time, mm -hmm. but then having everybody home and turning into like a three meal a day, you know, <laughs> cafeteria cook on top of the recipe development. Um, but in the end, I actually think it made the recipe so much stronger because mm -hmm. I was really cooking like dinner with my family more than I ever had it, ever. And um, I was just hyper aware of how annoying is this? How many bowls does it use? How many right. times am I loading? Even with a dishwasher, like we're loading, we're unloading, we're loading again. Um, so it just, uh, I think it really made me pare the recipes down to like what's essential, you know? Well, it's interesting because I've spoken to a lot of people on this podcast who are professional food writers, and it feels like there's often a separation of church and state in terms of like the stuff they're doing for work and then the stuff that they feed their families. Yeah. And I'm curious, before the pandemic, did, did you really keep that separate, like the food that you were cooking? I was actually family. really defensive about like that, that, that being in a, in a test kitchen had clouded my, you know, perspective on things. I was like, absolutely not. We take these <laughs> things into consideration constantly, but you know, the reality is, uh, you get spoiled, right? You have mm -hmm. every piece of equipment. There's, um, people whose job is to like, you know, clear, clear the sinks out and bring and you know, stack stuff back up again. And um, I think that in addition to that, kind of 
being in a professional environment where there's a lot of pressure on coming up with something new, right? Mm-hmm. Because for the magazine, it was like, you can't repeat that. We already did that. We have to do da, da, da. This is what we did Thanksgiving last year. We can't do the same thing again. So constantly trying to like tweak things or recreate things or reinvent something or come up with something totally original. And I just didn't feel that pressure when I was cooking Mm -hmm. my own food, which I really do believe in like, you don't always have to find a new recipe to cook. And if there's a recipe that you really like making and you love to eat, like make it all the time. I made the same things like all the time. And also like watching you make something that I've made a million times, but seeing your take on it is always insightful and helpful. Like I watched your video for sweet potatoes and it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, to like tear them instead of like slicing them or to like sear them after you roast them. Or I mean, it's just like the simplest things that, that I think a lot of people take for granted if they're in the food world, it's like, oh, like the average person really wants to know that. Like, how yeah. did you do that? Yeah. Just like, season, <laughs> like seasoning things and just, I don't know. I just feel like the most basic things, but it's also interesting because you mentioned like dishes. Like, you know, I, I always think when I read a chef's cookbook, who's like a restaurant chef that yeah. like, they're used to having somebody else do their dishes. And so they dirty like a million pots in a pan, you know, and, and for most people, as you said, like when you're home, you don't want to make a huge mess in the kitchen that you have to clean up. So that's interesting. You felt that change too for yourself. Totally. I actually track it to when I was a restaurant cook and would Mm -hmm. cook at home and I would approach my home cooking the way I cooked in the restaurant. So Mm -hmm. I was like making a lot of components of dishes that then get combined because it's not only that someone does the dishes in the restaurant, but for chefs, especially like different individual humans make different parts of a dish mm-hmm. so and i've i've worked with chefs and read a lot of chef cookbooks the the creativity the spark the originality is like always what moves me but mm-hmm. when you really drill down on the recipes you can see like oh you're making a sauce then when that's done you're like making these roasted vegetables when those are done you're like mm-hmm. <laughs> dealing with the protein cuz that's how a kitchen is set up with different people doing different parts of the dish it's funny because I have Nancy Silverton's mozza cookbook. Yeah. And she has a recipe in there that's like basically just like pasta with oh, it's like orichetti with like sausage and like broccoli rub. But there's so many steps. It's like a three page <laughs> recipe. And I remember doing that and be like, wow, I didn't know it was possible to make something so simple, so complex. But at the same time, it was incredible when I made right. it. So it's good to like do that and learn it. Um, well, I, what else was I just about to ask you? Oh, something about your book. So this book... Um, Oh, I know I was going to ask you. So making the videos is like one part of what you do and then doing the book. But do you have a preference? Like, do you like being on mm. camera and doing video stuff more? Or do you like being behind a computer and writing more? Or is it a little bit of both? I mean, writing is a nightmare. So let's just put mm. that there. <laughs> okay, I like <laughs> when something is done, when the writing is done, I'm like, if, if, if in the rare occasion, it's a thing that I'm like pleased with, mm-hmm. then it's great. But the act of writing is like, a nightmare, you know, Mm. um, I love when I get to play around in the kitchen and, and come up with a dish that way. And there were a few moments of spontaneity that ended up into that sounds so good. And like, Mm -hmm. those are my favorites because I can remember how I felt when I was like, I thought I was going to do this when I started cooking, but like, now that I see what's happening in this pan, I'm thinking something else and kind of take a detour. And then end up somewhere that I'm really happy. So if I can have those moments that I really do love that part of like recipe mm-hmm. development. And then um, I really do love making videos. Like mm-hmm. it's just 
you know, one of the biggest things that I missed during the pandemic was having a community of colleagues and coworkers. And right now I'm shooting my YouTube series with um, four other people. Mm-hmm. And it's not, I know at the end of the, at the end of the edit, it's just me in my kitchen, but when we're shooting, it's me and all these other people sort of coming together. So I really do love like the energy of the shoot days. Mm-hmm. And um, I like that much more than I like reviewing the edit and having to listen mm-hmm. to my own voice. So it's all, you know, they're all like very important parts to me. Well, I think it feels like you're happiest at in the in the kitchen itself just like yeah. being at the stove and playing like it's funny because I'm a writer who cooks and I feel like there are cooks who write and so I'm definitely like like to be at the computer writing about what I just did <laughs> um, but it's a different kind of thing but also like you have such a clear voice that I feel like and it's funny that you don't like writing because I feel like even your style like the, your mm-hmm. wordplay and the way like you call you know, rename dishes. I'm not going to get them right, but like <laughs> Sammy peas or sweetie peas or whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, like that's very like word oriented. So, I mean, there is like a language component to what you do, but it's, but it's mostly like in action, like at the stove versus like typing on a computer. I, I think, I think of myself more as an editor than a writer. Like mm-hmm. I'm more comfortable editing. Um, and the process of writing for me there's a very narrow window in the day when it's going to happen. And if I miss that window, I've learned, I learned from writing where cooking begins, like it's not worth even trying, mm-hmm. you know, like if I get past noon or noon 30 and I didn't <laughs> achieve what I intended with the writing, it's like, move on, you know, mm-hmm. and then it will come back late, like between nine and 11. Sometimes I can bang something out, but it's more the fun part of that, the, what you're talking about, like, having a little bit of fun and playfulness with the language is totally like part of the edit process for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. So that comes later. The, the yeah. whole. Um, well, Carla, I'm so excited to have you on this podcast because I've watched you for years and I've read you for years, so nice. but this is a therapy. This is like a lunch therapy session. So we're now going to bore into your psychology a little bit in a way right. that I don't know if people <laughs> who are listening to this have ever gotten to visit that part of you before. So um, we're going to begin with the classic question that starts every podcast, which is Carla, what did you have for lunch today? <laughs> I'm actually still eating it. Like I got oh, wow. more behind than I just took a picture of it, actually. Um, She's holding up a bowl. It looks like um, it has some things in it. I literally yeah. can't tell what they are. But it looks like I. It looks like granola. Oh, it, interesting! It couldn't be meat. further. From, <laughs> yeah, it couldn't be further away from granola. This is um, leftover chili that my mom brought over last week. Okay. And into it, I had my own leftover roasted butternut squash from my CSA on Friday. Mm-hmm. So when I reheated her chili. I diced up some of the already roasted um, butternut and put it in the chili and it's such a good combination. Mm -hmm. And then it has like a big dollop of um, good culture sour cream on top, which is like, I'm just, I know for a long time we were all like, you can do yogurt or like Greek yogurt or labna instead of sour cream, get some sour cream. Because like, if it's been a little while and you've been Mm -hmm. using yogurt as sour cream, like (laughs) sour cream is fantastic. Yeah, it's thicker. Yeah, <laughs> it's delicious stuff. Yeah. So, um, and this is, I had this exact same lunch yesterday. Uh, and then today was like, that was so good. I have to have it again. Well, this is wonderful for a lunch therapist because yes. there's a key, key element to what you said about your lunch, which is that your mother yes. brought over some chili and you've been 
uh, doctoring it with your own <laughs> ingredient. That feels very psychologically rich. Yes. So I wonder if you could talk to me about this relationship you have with your mother yeah. and cooking and food and, and how she inspires you, but also like where you differentiate from her. Yeah, it's very um, close for me. I, I really think that I cook and enjoy food because of the household I was raised in. And my mom's like an amazing cook. And also she's a true, amazing writer um, and was also a restaurant reviewer when I was growing up. I would, you know, the food at home was really good. And then we would go out and like that food was really good. Mm -hmm. And I feel like um, enjoying good food or having had good food really helps you as a cook because you know kind of like where you're trying to get with flavors like mm -hmm. I don't have a kind of palette where I can detect individual flavors that much like my sister has that my older son has that but for me it's like I know maybe what's missing from a flavor component and how to get there and I feel mm -hmm. like having eaten good food gave me that um but the reason she brought the chili over was because um I've just been so busy with the book launch. The book was coming out on Tuesday. I think I went, she asked me, can I bring something over? Would it you know, be helpful? And I was like, yes, Monday night actually would be incredible if you could mm -hmm. drop something off. And she um, brought over chili. And does she live near you? Yeah, she, so my parents, Yes, my parents live in Manhattan forever. I was raised in Manhattan um, mm -hmm. and they just rented an apartment in Brooklyn Heights. So they're like oh, nice. walking distance. My other son has been going over to their place after um, school. So it's really like this whole new phase in our family life. Well, I love that, you know, just that idea of growing up with a mom who is a food critic and then becoming like your own culinary superstar. There just there is something <laughs> really fascinating about that. And I'm curious uh, if you could talk a little bit about like the ways that you started to become different from your mother in terms of your approach to food versus her approach. Like what are the yeah. differences? Well, I really thought I had chosen like a very different path when I became a restaurant cook because, mm -hmm. you know, my parents are both journalists and had worked in magazines and books. And I was like, I'm hardcore. <laughs> I work on the line and like I yeah. have burns to show for it. And like, Which also makes me think a little bit about you saying you don't like the writing part of what you do. <laughs> so I wonder if that's part of it too. Totally. I was yeah. like this. Yeah. I have like, I make $400 a week. Like we couldn't be more different. Um, and then when I, after 10 years, I kind of moved into food media and was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and realized like that that part of my early part of my career and then this next phase were kind of like coming together in a way that looked a lot more similar to um, what my mom does. I think um, my mom's, amazing because she edited cookbooks. So she really cooks from cookbooks in a way that I think a lot of cooks today are, and my, I'll just speak for myself. Like when I get a new cookbook, I look mm -hmm. through it. I'm looking at the images first. And then I'm like thinking about what ingredients are going together and the style of it and how it looks and like getting inspired by flavor combinations. And maybe I'm going to skim the method, but kind of, you know, I can look at like the order that the ingredients are listed Mm -hmm. And my brain will click together, like what the technique is going to be. And that's just mm -hmm. from many years of editing recipes also. But I don't cook from recipes. Even when I'm cooking my own recipes on video, I'm like, oh, well, I wrote this in the book, but like, I already think I should switch the order of it. I, I might change the way I cook my own recipe. Um, my mom is much more 
like it's almost like she has an allegiance to the original author's vision and there are authors that she really trusts and she mm-hmm. picks cookbook she picks out recipes from cookbooks and like cooks them um i knew i was coming on the podcast obviously so i asked her um like what what whose recipe was this because i knew that it was someone's and she actually like morphed together two different recipes mm. and one of the key ingredients in it is chocolate in the chili in the chili wow. which like you'll see in um some chilies and is definitely um something you'll see in mole mm-hmm. um and it adds this like bittersweet obviously but sometimes it's cocoa sometimes it's actual cho- she put an ounce of bittersweet chocolate in mm-hmm. the braising liquid um and i think differences and that was really cool to me differences i think i have a much higher threshold for salt than she does mm-hmm. she's more of a believer in like she'll salt the dish but kind of backs off and lets you add salt at the table whereas i'm kind of like mm. um want the dish to be so seasoned that nobody needs salt at the table or so i can at least say you might want to taste that before you add salt to it <laughs> <laughs> No, that's really, I mean, I like, I, for some reason, it made me think of like the Supreme Court. I don't know why, but like the idea of like being like an originalist, like interpreting the constitution, like literally versus like liberally. Totally. And it's like, it's like, I, mean, I do believe there are people who like absolutely like will follow a recipe to the letter and it terrifies them to trust their own instincts. And you're all about instincts and, and just getting the vibe of something. And I think yeah. that's how I like to cook, but it took me, I think it also, like you said, it comes from lots of experience. So you have yes. to just cook a lot before you start to know what you like um so that's really but I also feel like there are baking people who like like to follow I mean baking people are the ones who really like instructions versus more savory cooks so yeah when I bake when I bake I absolutely follow the I don't feel like I can improvise at all when I'm baking like I'm like there's Mm -hmm. science involved here there's like some weird you know there could be like there's water in sugar. So if you like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like things that I know, but I don't fully understand. And after spending some time with like really incredible bakers, I think the first person who really like blew my mind about this was Nicole Rucker. Mm -hmm. Um, who's, uh, uh, her cookbook is awesome, but she's also an incredible pie maker. First first patient on lunch therapy, my very first guest. How cool. So So I spent a little time with her and I guess I got to interview her for a book event actually. Mm -hmm. And, um, in that talk, she blew my mind by saying, you know, like you taste as you go in baking as much as you do in savory. And I was like, no, Mm. you don't, you measure everything (laughs) exactly. And you do it. And she was like, even with fruit pies, like the, the flavor of the fruit will change, you know, over the course of the season day to day, depending on where you got it from. Mm -hmm. And she and all of the um, bakers that worked with her, you know, just taste like they'll add the amount of sugar that, you know, is the amount and then Mm -hmm. taste it and then adjust it with like sugar, salt, acid. And I was like, that's so smart. Like that totally makes sense. It has just never occurred to me. Yeah, that does make sense. I mean, it's funny, like that thing of trusting yourself and the confidence required in being a good cook. It's, it almost feels like a personality thing too. Like sometimes, and I was curious with you, like growing up, were you a confident kid? Were you bold in your, the things that you did? Yeah, yeah, I think I was. I was never, um, I like never had shyness about, you know, class participation or raising my hand or, 
even if I didn't know something, I would like feel okay about getting into the conversation. Um, mm-hmm. But it's funny, all that's always mixed with like, of course, you know, deep anxiety and self-doubt and paranoia. So <laughs> just what you show to the outside and yeah. like what you're feeling on the inside are not necessarily the same. Well, that's the funny thing about you because you come across as so confident. And so, so it's, it is interesting to hear that there's anxiety and all that other stuff. Um, For sure. But it yeah. feels like you give people a lot of comfort in what you do by, by showing them how to be confident in the kitchen. And, and it also feels like you take great pleasure from it too, which is nice. I absolutely do. And it makes me so happy. Like having the book, working on the book is one thing and being proud of the book. But then when the book is out and people are cooking the recipes and Mm -hmm. putting up their photos, like the pride and joy of seeing that things are working for people in their kitchens and that, Mm -hmm. you know, part of my book is the spinach section. So I'm really encouraging people to improvise or to make substitutions and some of the substitutions people make, I'm like, that's genius. Like I would, mm-hmm. I didn't think of it. I didn't include it, but like they got, they got the spirit and like went mm-hmm. for it. Um, and I think that like, because cooking is so pleasurable for me um, as an outlet or as like um, something to do alone or something to like be, feel like you're being creative and you're listening to a good podcast, whatever that time is like that. I wanted people who like to cook to realize that like that's a form of creating an opportunity for for pleasure and relaxation and enjoyment as part of your like necessary life because we have to eat. So if you can kind of carve out the like enjoyment of the meal, mm-hmm. of preparing the meal instead of like how I felt a lot of nights during the pandemic, which was like, if I have to cook dinner again, I'm just going to die, you know? Um, (laughs) and I think it's okay for both of those things to be true. Um, Uh but that like in, in, in many moments of the pandemic, having a recipe to create or a video to shoot, like gave me the structure I needed to not like slide into the slide off the deep end, slide into the deep end, go off the deep end. (laughs) Go off the deep end. Yeah. Like I know there's something there. Um, no, that's interesting. Yeah. I cooked a lot during the pandemic and I probably gained about 15 pounds, but it was interesting, like cooking for like myself versus like cooking for like, you know, other projects and things. And it's there, there were those moments where it's like, I just craved like banana bread or Mm -hmm. crave, you know, it's like you have those cravings and it's like, and it's not like for money and profit. It's literally just like, I would need, I need to make this thing. And those are often like the best moments. Cause then you make that thing that is hitting that sweet spot for you. Yep. So I'm curious with you growing up in this family, like when did you start cooking? I didn't really start cooking until I was in college. And I think okay. a big part of it was that I moved off campus and uh, no longer like really was using the cafeteria for my food and um, realized like, oh, I need to figure this out. Like I know mm-hmm. that th- what's involved here is that you cook for yourself because that's how I grew up, but I really didn't know the first thing. So Mm -hmm. um, I have the first recipe I really learned to make was my mom's pasta fagioli, Mm -hmm. which is one of my more popular recipes that I put in Where Cooking Begins. And I have the piece of paper, I called her like from my apartment and was like, tell me how to make this. Cause I had eaten it a thousand times. 
And I have the notes that I took on the phone call with her of like what to do first and what ingredients to put in and roughly how long to cook things for. And so that was the first dish that I like kind of learned or learned how to make. And it was was funny. Was it like a superpower? Like, was it like, oh, wow, like I can do this thing. I didn't know I can do it. Or did it take a while before it to become really good? It definitely took a while. In fact, (laughs) it's such a fun recipe for me because um, I also made it every Sunday of the pandemic. Like every Sunday night, we that's what we had. And it was really nice. I don't know if you did this. It was really nice knowing what we were going to have, like instead of having to come up with like what's for dinner. Like certain yeah, we nights of the that. week. <laughs> it's, just, it's, just a, it's just me and my husband. So we didn't have like three kids to, to like, you know, have to feed. So that's a little different. But yeah, that's nice that you had a routine though. That's the routine good. of it and kind of the comfort. That's a very comforting dish. Um, but I made it different every single week. Like I literally <laughs> never made it the same way twice. And it was always good. And it kept evolving. And like, that's what those kinds of home cooked recipes should be anyway. Like you should go into someone's home and it's it's minestrone or it's marinara or it's their ragu or their version of whatever and that's the dish but it's like tastes totally different than yours i made a dish the other day i made a soup that was so delicious and nourishing and wholesome that it actually made me physically ill (laughs) (laughs) i put like white beans and like tons of kale and Mm -hmm. um, shard (laughs) and i like put it on my instagram i was like this is a wholesome soup for everyone and the next day i was like (laughs) it's like i should have called it colon blow or something (laughs) but it's like sometimes i make like food that's like so healthy that it's like okay that's a little too healthy let's like back off a little bit (laughs) so so what was that transition for you so the pasta fajoules so then college and then what was after college after college i actually went into book editing because i had like a liberal arts degree and because you know that was like my family kind of was like you know got me the internship during college with their friend who was an editor and like then you have this stuff on your resume and that's what you are doing but I Mm -hmm. really didn't like it so I was I was kind of in the editing world for two or three years and then I ended up at a um a website that um was a startup and this was like in the late 90s so this is like pre-internet internet boom um and i worked there for a while and then they went belly up Mm. and everybody got fired and we all got these like six week severance packages and after that i was like sort of freelancing and doing some copy editing but i was like not (laughs) sorry my dog is going no worries (laughs) i don't know what's if he sees, yeah, you're doing copy editing. <laughs> I'm doing copy editing, freelance, but like really not into it, right? Not motivated yeah. at all to kind of pursue it in a real way. Uh-huh. And my, I had this conversation with my dad on the phone and he was like, you know, if you wanted to go back to school, like this would be a great time to do it. And I was like, yeah, I do. And I want to go to cooking school. Like oh, wow, I, at okay. that point, I like loved cooking at home for myself and my, my boyfriend, who's now my husband, but, um, that's kind of, I just was like drawn to that. So I did the six month program at French culinary Institute. And then a lot of people on my podcast, who went to the French culinary. Really? Yeah. And including, um, what's her name? Uh, Lori Wooliever, who's Uh so Lori and I actually in the first segment of, um, FCI, it was broken up into, I think four sections. She and I shared a kitchen bench. Like we stood opposite each other 
And she was the person whose eyes I was looking into when we had to kill our first live lobster. They like <laughs> handed, we all got live lobsters and they wanted us to do the thing where you like shove the chef's knife into the base of the head and go down and, yeah. and bisect it left and right. And it's really in- intense. Like you have to, you know, it's, it's a live animal. And we were both like freaking out and we kind of were like, okay, let's do it at the same time. And I went straight down and bisected mine left and right. And Lori cut crosswise separating the body from the, from the head. And it was just like flapping all over the place. I'll never forget that. Anyway. um, Yeah. At once I started cooking as a student, I was like, this is it. This is, I love this. I'm so stimulated by it. I'm never going to get bored of this. Um, it was like physical, but it was also technical. And mm-hmm. and then from there, I went into um, restaurant cooking, line cooks. Just a, just a quick little thing. Um, I think your microphone is <gasps> scraping against your oh, sweater. I, got I don't it. know if it, but I'm hearing like a lot of like. Got it, got it, got, got it. it. Sorry. Late to yeah, tell you it that. probably yeah. is. Okay. But um, so you went into, you became a line cook. So what was the restaurant that you started at? Um, the first restaurant I worked in was Montrachet uh, okay. in Tribeca. It's a Drew Nipron mm-hmm. restaurant. Um, it's gone now. And tiny, tiny, tiny kitchen, which actually was advantageous as a as a young beginner cook because you could see everything that was happening. Mm-hmm. A lot you... of those big fancy yeah. kitchens have like, you know, dungeons and basements where everyone is like in their separate room doing menial prep work. But at Montrachet, I was like, could reach out and touch like two of the cooks while I was standing there, you know? And how did you deal with like restaurant culture though, of just like being on the line and people like screaming and like pots, plates being thrown and like, was that difficult or did you take? Yeah. And I definitely had a, a chef who was sort of, um, stereotypically like there was a lot of yelling and screaming it was handwritten tickets if you couldn't read them he would like Mm -hmm. go off on the waiters like it was six days a week we worked a double on Fridays like there was no paid time off there was no health care there was no you know it was really Mm -hmm. but I had decided that that was this like tough thing that I wanted to do I like really loved being um one of two females in a tiny really intense kitchen and mm-hmm. had um I don't know I just like really really loved that the adrenaline of it and the environment after a certain point you know like a few years later when I got more into back of house management and not so much on the line you realize like you're missing out on a lot of really important life things mm-hmm. <laughs> which is why it's a good job to have when you're like really young and then right. it's not a great job to have when you you know want to have a family or a social life were there things that you learned working at a restaurant that you didn't learn at the fci like that you now using your own cooking totally i think fci was like a great foundation to be able to go into a kitchen and understand um process but i mean one of the biggest things that you get good at is just getting fat really fast, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so, so much more speed. Um, I mean, I learned like kind of everything. I learned so many different techniques. I was, um, after Montrachet, I went to Union Pacific and Mm -hmm. worked under Rocco Despirito and that restaurant, um, had flavors that I had never had before. Cause he really was into, it wasn't fusion exactly, but he used, he really thought of ingredients as flavors and, 
you know, I had never like cooked with fish sauce or yuzu juice or like we were bringing fresh wasabi in from San Francisco, this one Japanese grower and um, lime pickle, which I just, you know, mm-hmm. put in my video, like oh, a yeah, lot of things. Really yeah, a lot of things I had never tasted. And once I became the kitchen manager, I also was responsible for ordering, receiving and mm-hmm. budgeting. So I learned like, um, food cost. And I learned like how to assess quality with receiving, you know, different ingredients and, um, haggling and, you know, sending stuff back and begging for favors and all that kind of stuff. Well, it's interesting as you're talking, like, cause we were talking earlier about like video doing videos versus, um, writing. And then now I'm just keep thinking about your parents being journalists. And then all these jobs you're describing are just like, so you on your feet and just like on the ground doing stuff. And so was there, was that, um, more of a rebellion in a weird way, or was like that just true to your nature? Like, were, were you not really like as much as somebody like to sit down and like read a book in the corner versus somebody like want to be on the playground, like running around? It's funny. I'm kind of both. Like I really love, um, to read and like I read in bed every night before I go to sleep. And um, it was a big like part of um, our kids' lives also, but I really like the physical nature of the work. I mm-hmm. liked not, I, I get really antsy if I have to sit down for too long. So then was it a pretty quick transition from the restaurant world into the magazine world? Was that the next No, it was step? like 10 years. Oh, so what else? What did I miss? Um, I worked at Union Pacific. Then I was the general manager at Shake Shack. Um, I worked there for two years. Then I was doing um, some consulting and I taught culinary management at Institute for Culinary Education, um, okay. ICE, which was Peter Kump's like previously. Um And I was working there when I got kind of recruited or just connected through a friend to a job opening at Everyday Food, which is a Martha Stewart magazine. Mm -hmm. And I basically went on the interview thinking, I'm going to come out of this with like at least some good HR, you know, food Mm -hmm. media, HR recruiting stories for my students who were really interested in food media. And I didn't have a lot, you know, that wasn't like my background. And I went on like one one interview and then it was two and then it was four and it was five. And I ended up getting hired as the deputy editor. Mm -hmm. I think because I had the combination of like having done some editing at the very beginning of my career, but then having really, um, you know, gotten these food, this food experience in a, in, in a non bookish way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then from there, I, um, went to Bon Appetit. So I was at Everyday Food for two years and I was at BA for uh, eight and a half, something like that. So when you, when you were channeling, because I'm trying to, it's almost, I do feel like I'm talking to a superhero and it's almost like the origin <laughs> story. Like, you know, like what was the thing that made Carla Lily music, Carla Lily music, but is it, <laughs> that's hard to say actually. Um, but but it, it sounds like it, all these factors kind of played into this ultimate form that you took, like working on the line, going, yeah. going to culinary school, having your parents be your parents. But I'm curious, like, so when, once you were at Bon Appetit and you were starting to like fully flower and like this persona I guess I mean or whatever (laughs) I mean was was there like a certain moment where like it clicked over was it like the YouTube channel was it the I think it was when we started doing video because um at the beginning I had several different job titles at BA so I was Mm -hmm. I was brought in as a features editor and was really working on like 
the recipe stories, you know, not so much the lifestyle or the travel because we, you know, it was a real mix, um, but kind of like the straight recipe stories, like that mm-hmm. was my beat. <laughs> um, yeah. And then it was like four years before I really kind of morphed over more to to a to the food side where mm-hmm. I was um, part of the management of the test kitchen. So that mm-hmm. like really didn't come until several years into my time there. And then once we moved down to World Trade Center, um, that was where kind of that version of the test kitchen happened. And video again, like it wasn't immediate. And I really had to, I had to really pitch myself repeatedly over a long period of time to be put in videos. Mm. Um, and I guess going back to what you were saying before, like I am enough of an extrovert to feel confident that I wouldn't freeze on camera. And I had enough sort of to say, I think, mm-hmm. because of the the combination of ex- different experience. And um, yeah, and then, you know, that coincided with like video being a business priority and it being a really big part of like what we started doing mm-hmm. um, that I got to do that. It's funny because like whenever like a young person like reaches out to me, like I want to be a food writer or something, it's like my advice is always just like get older, like just yeah, exactly. be older because it's, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's like what you're saying. It's like you need life experience. Like it's like you can't just write about nothing. You have to like have done things and experience things. So it's and then I think and it sounds like you got to that job and got to do the videos at the perfect moment where like you, you, there, you weren't faking it. You're legitimately giving good advice. Yeah. And I had several years of like editing recipes and, um, working with chefs and developing stories and getting, you know, this was like, you still got to go travel. If we were doing a story with a chef, I would get to go and travel and interview them and Mm -hmm. go to their kitchens and watch them. I learned a ton, you know, from that. And then I learned so much from my coworkers, you know, who mm-hmm. all had these different backgrounds, but we were in a very collaborative space. So it was really, you know, it was, in, it was incredible in a lot of ways. And it became such a huge phenomenon too. I mean, I, my neighbors that moved in like one year for Halloween, like when it's Claire Saffitz and so funny. Sure the other ones, but like, but I remember like, it just like took, so was that surprising to you when that happened? Very. Yeah. yeah. And did you get recognized a lot on the street? I mean, was it like? Um, the first time I actually got recognized was um, someone recognized my voice from the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the first time I had ever been like recognized in public. I was at the farmer's market in Fort Greene. And this woman kind of turned around and was like, are you <laughs> Carla from BA? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> she was like, I know your voice. Like I, she literally recognized me from my voice. That yeah, every to me time on an airplane when I was um, really? flying back from France, where I heard Jeffrey, Ina's Jeffrey's no voice. No way! And I was like, that sounds familiar. And I looked up, and it was Ina and Jeffrey walking past me. And I was oh, like, this my is the God. greatest moment of my entire life. That's so um, funny. Yeah, well, you were about to say something, and I interrupted you. Oh, just like um, even yeah. Now, when if if whenever I get recognized, I'm like surprised and. Um, Mm-hmm. like flummoxed and like you know pleasantly yeah. surprised <laughs> well it's funny because like I was doing this like um dialectic of like 
you like being extroverted versus introverted stuff, but like it's the, the other part of this that's interesting is like being the center of attention versus being in the background. Like when you're working in a restaurant kitchen, it's like you're not the star, like you're literally getting food on a plate. Right. But suddenly, like this bon appetit thing, like thrusts you into the limelight, and now you're you know doing these cookbooks with your name on the cover. So is that a comfortable place for you? Like, do you like being yes in, and in no? The spotlight? It's super yeah. vulnerable too. You mm-hmm. know, like you don't, um, you just don't know, like how something's going to be received or will Mm -hmm. it connect and um that is at the root of like you know when you are living with your own work because writing a cookbook takes two years Mm -hmm. and at a certain point i would look at the recipes and be like is it good i don't know like i Mm -hmm. literally have no context or um clarity on this anymore like it seemed like a good idea i obviously like (laughs) put it in the chapter i developed the recipe for it but like is it good is it too simple is it boring is it Mm -hmm. like not boring enough like i you know i go through all of that and you and all of the time and you also have you having tried to create recipes that would be like the big next thing like in magazines you're constantly looking for like what's the big next thing um when you are trying to engineer that it almost never happens mm-hmm. so kind of not knowing like which recipes are going to be the popular ones like you know just constantly being surprised by that as well so what is the process when you're coming up with a recipe for the book um where do you begin um where does, where does cooking begin <laughs> yeah, for me- <laughs> Can I pause for one second? Because yeah, sure. my cat, Jeffrey, is at the back door and he's meowing and clawing at the yeah, door. Yeah, so hold yeah. on a sec. Oh. He's very indoor outdoor. Oh, um, got it. With a, with a taste for wild animals as well. So uh, uh, you never yeah. know. If he's I used to have up. a cat, then I transitioned into being a dog nice. person. And <laughs> it's, it's been nicer. I feel more, more social with my dog as I go out very and walk much. around. Um, but you were saying, so you start, how, where, where does this, oh, oh yeah. So start? for me, um, for it's, it depends. There are some things that I cook without really thinking about it or come up with stuff, or they're just like in part in the wheelhouse. When I wrote where cooking begins, there was a much higher ratio of recipes like that, that was a thing that I did all the time. And I had just never like written it down as a recipe. So that process was more like, um, cooking a thing that I cook all the time, but paying more attention to time and temperatures and measurements and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, and kind of getting it down with, um, that sounds so good. It was a hundred re- new recipes mm-hmm. and I didn't have like a hundred recipes in my back pocket. Like that's insane. So, um, for me, that really came down to like coming up with the book structure first mm-hmm. and like what, was going to organize this book. Um, and, and what is the structure of the book? So the book is divided into two sections. There's Monday through Thursday and then Friday and the weekend. Um, so yeah. And it was kind of funny also during the pandemic, I was like, I had this whole like thing worked out and then I was like, Oh cool. The days have no meaning anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. But was, is you it know, Thursday? is it Friday? Yeah. I, I still, but then I was like, but it's fine. <laughs> the weekend recipes are great for people who work at home. Um, mm-hmm. So once I had the Monday through Thursday, Friday and the weekend, it was kind of like just narrowing the funnel um, and creating an outline. So in Monday through Thursday, there's stovetop suppers, there's big salads, there's, you know, burning clean, which is kind of the way we eat when we like really overindulged on the weekend. And Mm -hmm. like, 
can we have a, can I like, I'm going to eat on Monday night, but like, can we take a break? You know, like <laughs> right. maybe how you felt after, um, <laughs> escrow and kale. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, I really wanted to come up with chapters that, um, not only felt familiar to me because my kitchen looks different on a Tuesday night than it does on like a Saturday afternoon. I cook completely differently depending on how much time I have in front of me. And I wanted that to carry through and even to our um, lighting direction and prop direction, like the Monday through Thursday section, we um, lit differently than we did, you know, day drinking and lazy lunches. Um, because if you look, go through your own, um, you know, photo reel, like the food that you cook on Sunday in the winter is like not lit. Like mm. do you, <laughs> is that something you, you brought to the table? Like, I mean, do you say to the photographer, like, I want, yeah, this yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah. So That's that was really like cool. a big, yeah. yeah, it was, um, that was really fun. And, and having been on a lot of photo shoots, it's, it's so helpful to have a narrow structure to like work inside mm -hmm. of instead of like, just make the food look good, you know? Right. right. Um, so yeah, then I wrote the chapter titles and then I just started populating those chapters almost like they were magazine stories. Like mm -hmm. if you were doing a story on, um, you know, winter stews, you would be like, okay, we're pitching a story for winter stew. And now you're going to pitch a recipe lineup of, you know, recipes that belong in that chapter. So mm -hmm. it was almost like every chapter was its own little self-contained moment because instead of being organized by ingredient, they're organized by situation. And then when you have a recipe, like a winter stew, like a specific one that you're going to make, do you write the recipe first and then test it or you just test it and then write it? Yeah. People are so different and having worked with a lot of cooks, like people, some people totally write it down like exactly and then take edits. Um, I would write the ingredient list uh -huh. in the order, sort of thinking through it, the order that I imagine the ingredients are going to be used. And that's it. And then go into the kitchen. Excuse me. I was so much better organized in the second book that I really brought my laptop into the kitchen with me. The mm -hmm. first book, I just had handwritten notes all over the place. It was total chaos. Then you have to transcribe those. Yeah. So I would bring the laptop into the kitchen. The ingredients are in order. And then I would kind of cook instinctively, but pay, but then write down the measurements and the time. Mm -hmm. And that's like a first draft. And if you're lucky, you know, you have minor tweaks to make. And if you're not, you hate the thing you made and you have to start <laughs> over. Um, and it's a full on combination of, of those two things. And when you have a hundred recipes to get through, I mean, are you inclined to not be as hard on yourself as you normally? I mean, like, cause I imagine like you have very high standards for things. Yeah, so you have to I give yourself was... permission to like, just be very good versus excellent. No, I was really, <laughs> um, I was much more attached and put these recipes through the kind of through many rounds. Um, I guess that wasn't then, a great question to ask somebody who's promoting. No, it's funny because in Where Cooking Begins, there are a few recipes that uh -uh. like I had a full-time job when I was developing that book yeah. um, and, and deadlines were really, really tough. And there's a few recipes in Where Cooking Begins and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's like not my best showing, you know? Um, and in this one, I, I was able to like give, I felt like I could give them the attention that they needed, but it's still like I'm cooking things for 
videos. I'm cooking things to do cook-alongs with people. I'm cooking things to like um, do, I like making reels, like all this stuff that you have to do now. And every time I make a recipe from the book, I'm like, oh, it worked. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> That's great. Oh, wonderful. Like, of course, like, yeah, I hope so. But still, like, I'm like, wow, that okay. It, like, I was making something the other day for um, a social video. And I was like, geez, that's like a lot of whatever it was. I was like, that's mm-hmm. a lot of mayo. Like, that just seems <laughs> like crazy. And then I finished it. And I was like, no, that was like the right amount of mayo. Like, was it the steak salad with the yeah. arugula? Yeah, I just <laughs> yeah. watched that. That looked delicious. <laughs> Thank um, you. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because like recipe testing is di- like when I work on something, like I'm, I have a, cook- a Broadway cookbook that I'm working on right now Ooh, fun. with my friend Gideon. And, um, and, you know, I tested the recipes, I put them out, but then I sent them to my readers. Like so people wanted to test them. And it's funny, like the things you forget, like just yes. like, little tiny things that's like, oh, I didn't tell them to like cover this, or I didn't tell them to like, you know, clean the, blah, blah, blah. I don't know, just like million different 100%, things. hundred percent. Yeah. And, so do you and go with, through that? Yeah. Yeah. With cookbooks, the publisher, like part of the contract is like that you are, you know, agreeing to send like vetted, tested, you know, accurate, non-plagiarized, like the whole thing recipes, but they don't, um, the budget for that, like has to come out of your own advance and professional recipe testers are incredible. That's a real skill, but I could not afford that. So in the end, I did sort of something similar. I doled recipes out to my friends who I know are really good home cooks or like want to be better home cooks, like all levels really. And I paid for their groceries in return for like notes, you know, and some of the things that people ask questions about, like never would have occurred to me like in a hundred million years, like there's a recipe for flank steak and the woman who I um, worked with on it, she like went to the butcher and they had the flank steak, like rolled up, you know, how sometimes, Mm -hmm. cause it's so thin and long that in the case they roll them up. So when she brought it home, it was like in this coil <laughs> and my thing said to like cut it into two or three equal sections. And she was sort of looking at it like, am I supposed to unfurl it first or am I going to go like, you know, cut it into quadrants? And I was like, wow, you know, <laughs> you would never have thought of that. I would never have thought of that. But if she had that experience, then, you know, certainly other people are going to think the same thing you know and so that ended up in the recipe instructions it's just it's funny i mean not to call out a cookbook but these people are not listening to this right now i guarantee you but david chang's new microwave book with priya krishna i just got i'm so excited about it because i just got a microwave and i wasn't feeling well last night so i wanted to make the juke i think is how you say it it's mm-hmm. like kanji and mm-hmm. it's like a recipe where you basically just take rice and broth and like you microwave it for like 35 minutes but it didn't say in the recipe whether to cover it or not mm-hmm. and so i was like studying the pictures i was like i was because i have pictures of it and i was like is the cover on like is it not on and so i put the cover like, i put the lid on and i was like neurotic that like it was going to like all like absorb too quickly. Right. So then I, I kept adding water, but it's just funny. Cause it's like a tiny, tiny little detail like that. Like, do you cover it or do you not cover it? But it's like, it makes such a huge difference, but it ended up being delicious. So this is well, actually a positive. It's <laughs> good. All is well that ends well. So I, wanted yeah, to I ask don't own a microwave. Oh, oh you so. don't? It's like a, mm-hmm. I think it's coming back right now. I think there's a trend. For yeah. The microwave microwaves are. Yeah. I just don't have like of when we're talking about counter space, it's like, yeah 
you you got to really earn a spot there. <laughs> yeah, I don't have the space for it, but I found a butcher block that our neighbors were giving away. So I put it against under our pots and pans and I put the microwave nice. on that. So I was going to ask you because we were talking about your parents earlier and the influence they had on your food, but what is the impact you're having on your kids and teaching mm. them how to cook? And are they picking up things as they grow up? Yeah, they're both very confident cooks and I definitely encourage them to be in the kitchen and to try things and mess around. And I think like letting them do whatever is so much more valuable than, hey, here's a recipe, like mm -hmm. let's follow it together and like do this and then do this and then do this because for a kid that's like very um annoying frankly mm -hmm. you know what i mean and my um older son uh makes these like really great stir fries but he kind of does it the way he wants to mm -hmm. and everything kind of goes in in whatever order and but he knows how to build flavor and he knows how to adjust flavor at the end which is like mm -hmm. you'll figure out the technique you know what i mean like you're is it hard for it's you, great. though, to say, like, why are you adding the ginger now and not no, earlier? No, the only thing that I really have a hard time um, controlling myself about is the heat level. Like, if it's, if the pan is up too high or too low, like, I kind of can't control myself. And I'll just, <laughs> like, reach in and adjust the flame. Really? And then okay. the other thing that really drives me insane is... Um, and they both do it. They don't center the pan over the the ring of the <laughs> gas. Yeah. So it's like all the way over on one side. So you're getting this hot spot, like on the edge of the pan. And it's just like, not. So I'm like, <laughs> like reaching in and pulling, like, keep it on top of the flame. Those that's it. Um, I kind of want to watch a video series about this. This sounds really good. <laughs> Although I don't know if your kids want to be like featured that prominently. But. Yeah. Um, and then my younger son just loves like, He's really good at making eggs right now. He made me eggs the other day and I was doing, I was working, I was in bed, like writing or editing. I don't know what I was doing. And he brought like eggs and toast and a little salad. And I was like, it's so uh -huh. great when somebody else cooks for you. I was just like thrilled. And do you think that they was, was, did they grow up, I guess, like the bon appetit of it all and like the, the superstardom, like, did that happen while they were growing up? Like the yeah. ascent into popularity. So was that exciting for them to see that? Um, Yes, I think it was a bigger deal for my older son because he was like of the age of like watching YouTube himself or his like his um, friend group was aware of the BA thing. And so mm -hmm. like it was overlapping a little bit with like social stuff, mm -hmm. whereas for my younger son, like he didn't watch YouTube and but but Cosmo got to be in a um, Gourmet Makes video, which is mm -hmm. like <laughs> I think I see um, a couple, actually, <laughs> Sour Patch Kids and um, the Warheads. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for him, I've actually been out with him and he's been spotted. <laughs> That's got to be exciting. Well, I was wondering, though, if the success of all of this inspired them to want to cook in a way that if like you were still working on the line of a restaurant or if like you were still working in like in book publishing, mm -hmm. like if, if they ever would have been interested in it or you think that it was, it's part of who they are. I'm not sure. I think um, this generation is so comfortable in front of cameras mm -hmm, sure. and with cameras on them. And <clears throat> the thing that took me a really long time to learn how to do and totally needed coaching on is like how to talk to camera and how to like, mm -hmm instead of looking at the people in the room, like stare into the black hole of the camera lens. <laughs> it's really hard. Yeah. Um, 
and they don't have that. Mm -hmm. They're like, just have grown up self-taping, you know, taking selfies, making videos, sending snaps to each other, um, you know, with social media. Um, so they are more like naturally attuned to that. It's funny. I used to have a, a web show on the Food Network's website years ago called the FN Dish, where I would like interview Guy Fieri and interview uh -huh. like Rachel Ray. And um, they, but they gave me media training because I didn't know what I was doing. And they brought in this guy and the guy had trained Bill O'Reilly for Fox News, which was not a great match for me necessarily. Right. He's like, you got to be really <laughs> aggressive with the camera. You got to like lean into it. And, like, you know, and I was like, okay, I don't think this is me. But yeah, that's funny. Like, yeah, just staring into the camera is difficult. Um, well, Carly, you've been such a good sport with our therapy session. We're not quite done yet because every session begins with what did you have for lunch? But it ends with what are you having for dinner tonight? Um, I honestly have no idea. I think somebody else has to cook tonight because <laughs> I yeah. have a virtual event with, um, a bookstore and Hetty McKinnon is moderating. Oh, fun. So I think she's it's an alumni at, of this podcast. She was on two weeks she's ago. She's amazing. Um, yeah, I, love her. I do have a head of broccoli. So, or no, I have a head of cauliflower. So what I was going to suggest to someone is to make the spaghetti with melted cauliflower sauce from mm -hmm. that sounds so good because it's a one pot meal and um everybody loves it melted cauliflower so does it get like caramelized first and then kind of it's like apart? really slow and slow until it just cooks down to practically a puree and mm -hmm. takes on some color there's a, some anchovies some garlic a lot of olive love oil that. yeah That's delicious and like people love cauliflower i don't know so when you say someone will make this it's gonna <laughs> is it gonna be who would it normally be um Normally, if I'm not cooking, my husband does, but my child just walked in the door, so who knows? <laughs> Maybe he'll um, do it. It's very possible that I'm going to put it on like when you and I finish yeah. and get the sauce done because like literally you cover the pot and it just cooks by itself cover covered. Covered. <laughs> so you gotta, yeah, yeah, I mean, you got to know. You got to know. Uh, For like 35 <laughs> or 40 minutes. And then I could just like have that set aside and somebody else could boil the pasta and bring it, bring it together. Wait, but I have a very important question, which is that like, you're currently still eating your lunch and it's, I know. what time is it there? It's like four o'clock there. Now it's four. Yeah. So I'm saying like, is it, what, what I'm kind of way late? Yeah. So do you eat like on a strange schedule every day or is it because I, of work? I usually eat, um, my, I'm doing intermittent fasting, which is oh, like, right. yeah. So, um, but it's actually very similar to how I ate forever when I worked in the test kitchen, we had tastings every day late in mm -hmm. the day. So I would, um, try, yeah, I, I would end up not eating until tasting a lot anyway, mm -hmm. but I started eating at two, like mm -hmm. <laughs> my window is, um, between two and eight or two and 10. Great. So I've just gotten into like, um, working in the morning, maybe going to the gym and then have a coffee and make lunch at the same time. Just gotten used to it. And you don't get hungry in the morning? Not anymore. It's weird. I was never like a huge breakfast person. And then if I mm -hmm. do feel hungry, then I eat, you know? Yeah. 
not super strict about it. I tried intermittent fasting, but there was something psychological about not eating and maybe being Jewish where like, I just like, you know, like, this <laughs> You're is like not- why am I repenting right now? <laughs> yeah. I was like, I have to eat something like it's just doesn't feel right, but, <laughs> but it is a good strategy. So I think maybe I'll give it another go. Uh, well, Carla, thank you so much for taking the time to do this and congratulations on the new book. I'm so excited for it to get here. Thank and, you so um, much. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I'll see you around. Have a good right, rest take of your Take it day. easy. Have a great bye. lunch. Okay, bye.